I'm Taffer. And I'm Eunice. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! Yeah. We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today, and every day, to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area, whether that looks like thinking about borders and what they mean to you, whether that looks like land justice and water protection, um, whatever is relevant to where you live. Take some time and uh, and think about what that means. So this week, we have our first book review back from hiatus. Sorry that we missed a week last week. Somebody got sick. Um, there's only so much we can do, but it's too bad that it was the second episode back from hiatus that that happened on. Uh, but now we're back, and we're going to be bringing you more book reviews and interviews and other fun stuff. And today, we're talking about Tokyo Ever After by Amiko Jean. I have to say thanks to Flatiron Books for sending us a review copy of this. Uh, Again, if you are a a publicist or an agent and you want to send us books to review, um, we are always happy to take a look and see if they fit. This one absolutely does. I enjoyed this a whole lot. Tokyo Ever After has been described as a uh, Princess Diaries, but updated. It's a current one. Sorry, by current, I mean it's in 2021. And it is about Izumi Tanaka, who uh, has never met her father and then finds out that he is the crown prince of Japan. I feel like we can say that right off the bat, right? That's not a spoiler. She finds that out. That's not a spoiler. That's on the back it's of the book. It's in the synopsis. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so she flies to Japan to meet her father and and learn what it means to be a Japanese royal. Um, this book, like the first thing that I think of with this book is that it is so beautiful. It's so immersive and it's so aesthetic. And the descriptions are so mm. lush and so so powerful and vivid I felt like I could see every room and I could see all the colors Emiko Jean just has like a beautiful beautiful way of uh with description and she really creates an atmosphere um whether that's in Northern California or in Japan yeah I think even before I like picked up the book I saw the cover and the cover I don't know if you haven't seen the cover yet go search for it because it is so beautiful and you really can judge a book by its cover this time around because I think the writing really did reflect the um, the aesthetics of the cover for sure. I'm going to just put in there, if you haven't seen the cover yet, head to our Instagram because there's going to be a picture of it there at Yeah Podcast on Instagram. Nice plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. the other thing I really enjoyed about this book was, I don't know if... It, it does remind me of Princess Diaries, but, like, the vibe is completely different, I think. Um, it's just the kind of the premise that reminds me of, of it. And I guess I really do, did like 
Izumi is the main character and her voice really shines through. Um, so like, it's not written like as like diary entries or letters or um, like princess diaries is, but like you can still get a sense of her personality and it's fun. It's um, you want to be her friend. You are sympathetic to like kind of everything she goes through. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Izumi's voice is really, really strong and she is very self-assured in a way that Mia Thermopolis is not. With Princess Diaries, I mean, yeah, I don't think you can you can compare the premises. They're not similar characters, really. But in a way, I feel that it really is, um, it's a 2021 version, right? Because Mia Thermopolis, mm. the drama that she has, the voice that she has, it's very early 2000s. It's very kind of planted <laughs> in the Y2K era where she's like super chaotic and has this weird brand of feminism that's actually kind of misogynistic mm-hmm. and like fights with her best friend over things all the time. I think the the culture of this one thankfully is different um, where they're they're you know she's much more focused on friendship than like Mia Thermopolis is totally focused on boys right like from yeah. the beginning it's all yeah. about her crushes mm-hmm. and uh Izumi is focused on her friends and her mom and her life and that's really nice and she's very self-assured you know she knows what she wants she knows how to think through her choices whereas in princess diaries i think mia has much more of an attitude of it being thrust on her you know but i think that's another part of it is that i think azumi is given more choice mm. in a way that's really appealing because she's the one who seeks her father out ultimately yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think there's just like a uh, low angst I think is a thing that Mm -hmm. I picked up on with this. Like, there is definitely, I mean, with any, like, royal, like, book or, like, story, right, there is, like, a sense of, like, duty and a sense of, like, there's there's a lot of pressure being put on you. Um, So you feel that, but you don't feel, like, this, like, an angsty drama sense of, yeah of like the decision making or like or how she feels about the crown or like um or like her friends and family that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um she's doing a lot of like soul searching but she is um pretty sure of who she is um like like as a person outside of this whole like royalty thing being Mm -hmm. put into the mix absolutely um i want to take a minute and talk about about her mom yeah i was yeah, I was going to say that, like, I think she, it's very clear from the beginning. She has a really good support system. Um, so, like, with her mom and her friends, um, I think she, like, that is very much part of her identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just happens that there's this other piece where she's like, okay, this has been a mystery all my life. I need to, like, figure it out. Or, like, I want, I'm curious. I want to find out more. And then it so happens that her mom... Um, had this um, relationship in college yeah. <laughs> um, with a Japanese um, loyal. So <laughs> I thought that was really fun. <laughs> I did too. Yeah. I really love actually with her friend group. Um, so a, a good, a strong thread in this book is talking about um, the experience of growing up 
Japanese American, which Izumi is, and mm-hmm. growing up Japanese American in a town without like a large Japanese American population. Like she lives in a small town in Northern mm-hmm. California because her mother is a prof- is a botanist, a professor, um, and that's just where they ended up. But unlike a lot of books from like the era when we were teenagers that look at dual culture um, kids, she's not a fish out of water where all her friends are white and nobody understands. Um, and that was really nice to have her like to not have that trope of like, sure, I live in this town and my friends are great, but all of them are white and they don't understand why I eat this weird food. And instead, her friend group is all Asian American girls from different Asian backgrounds who have some different a- background or sorry, some different elements in their back in their cultures and some similar like shared experiences and support each other through that. And that's just like a much more realistic picture, I think, of the experience, um, at least today. Mm-hmm. It maybe was not a, an accurate representation in 2003. I don't know, because I didn't live in small town California in 2003. <laughs> but but I really like that. I really like that it's a supportive friend group who have shared experiences and are supporting each other in their shared experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what you can see from her, like, identity is she's pretty sure about being, like, Asian American in that sense. And then it's, and then it's just, like, when you, when she lands in Japan... It's kind of like figuring out, oh, where's the, like, where's the history or the identity that kind of gets lost Mm -hmm. through, like, generation of generation of being in America. Um, So I think, like, that part, like, was really cool and just trying to figure out, like, it is very different um, if you, like, grow up in America and you have this identity and you're perceived this way by, like, other Americans Um, And then you go to a country where, like, it should feel like home in some sense, but it's definitely very different. And you need to do a lot of, um, like, there is culture shock and you need to, um, there's a lot that you need to learn. Um, And, like, so that, like, progression in the story felt really real to me. And that, like, she not only she had to know, like, how to be royal, but she also need, needed to know, like, the culture, the language, yeah. like, everything. Like, that's a lot that um, is kind of put on her, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, really without, like, like from the get-go, like, she has to, like, know it all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was really realistic because um, there is that, like, immediate pressure for yeah. her to like fit in to know things but she doesn't yeah and I really I really like the choice to make her not know Japanese and have to learn that mm-hmm. because a it's realistic <laughs> um <laughs> like given her family background it's realistic and b there was something really humanizing about her having to overcome the language block as well as everything else and it mm-hmm. really like you've talked about Izumi's voice and how strong a character is and there was there's something really appealing about the way that she committed to learning all of this stuff and she's never like oh well I'm just like this no she always tries you know she's always saying okay I'm gonna try to be as gracious and obliging to everybody as I possibly can be and I'm going to try to demonstrate how important this is to me even though I'm in an uh, extremely weird situation Um, she handles an extremely weird situation with a lot of grace that's really appealing that's really really like builds 
trust in the character in a way that's really pleasant. Yeah, I love the interactions that she had, um, like, while she was in Japan trying to, like, understand, like, what it is that she needed to get, like, better at to know. Like, I I think that's what made her, like, such a sympathetic character um, because just, like, the posture that she had um, in trying to learn everything. I think that was really, um, like, good to see. Um, and for her to, because she also kind of like self-deprecatingly is like, oh, like, I'm like, nothing like made me like really, like, she didn't seem to have like a purpose before or like, she didn't know where she was going. Like, she was like, ah, school, whatever. Like, like, yeah, I have my friends and stuff like that. But I'm like, but like, she's also kind of like, you see her in the beginning of the story being like, huh, like. I don't know why I'm here kind yeah. of thing. Um, and then like, as, as the story progresses, you realize like that she's finds herself um, being like, Hey, like this is a area of my life that I can grow in and that I can commit to. And then like, this can be like my thing. Yeah. Um, and I really like that progression in the story. Yeah, I think that's where, like, the point I was making earlier about her having more choice kind of comes in. Because she is given the option of stopping. Like, at a few points when it gets hard, she's given the option of, like, yeah, you you can go home. You can stop doing this. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to do this, that's okay. This is a really big ask. And we also see, like, her dad kind of learning and developing as he goes and figuring out how to mm-hmm. be a parent figure. Um, to this mm-hmm. child he didn't know he had, who's now, what, 16? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> while he's also, I mean, I felt so sympathetic because it's very clear that that um, Izumi's mom was like the love of his life, who he's never gotten over. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. having this all reopened was very overwhelming for him. And he is dealing with mm-hmm. not only discovering that he has a child... <laughs> who he's like very (laughs) excited about and really eager to meet and really eager to catch up with but also Mm -hmm. that he has this connection to this woman who he loved and lost through circumstances Mm -hmm. out of his control and that was so I just I mean you know every now and then you read a book and when you finish it you you just feel sympathetic towards every single character like you feel Mm -hmm. That you can, even the ones who behave badly, you have compassion for every single character. And that's such a difficult thing to grasp. Um, but but mm-hmm. she really, really does that in this book. Like you finish the book and, and you feel as though you, at least I felt, as though I understood everybody's motives and I understood everybody's backgrounds yeah. and I understood why everybody made the choices they made. And and it's really nice to read a book that's just like, oh, yeah, life is everybody just just trying to make the best choices available to them. Yeah, it <laughs> definitely shies away. <laughs> yeah, it definitely shies away from like binary, um, yeah. like th- a binary story, like plot and thinking, um, because you really do see like a whole picture of of each person um, and then like especially because we're like viewing this through the lens of Izumi's character. You just don't see the quintessential like evil character who's like out to get the heroine um, 
thing in this book and that's really refreshing like what you were saying about like you understand everyone's motives whether like they do something like good or bad or like um, you know like it's not it's not like super tropey yeah in that way um like everyone gets like a whole story arc yeah and everybody gets wiggle room <laughs> like like everybody makes choices that are a little bad and everybody makes choices that are a little good I feel like this is something we've encountered we've maybe been encountering more and more in book reviews recently I'm trying to remember mm. the other book that we reviewed recently that had this same thing but I I really like it like there's this development mm-hmm. where we're getting all these books that are just like so I, I'm thinking frictionless, like there's mm-hmm. action and there's there's plenty to wrestle with and plenty to discover, but the conflict is internal. We're seeing a lot more books about internal mm-hmm. conflict, where it's a character who ha- is in a challenging situation and has to figure out the best way to approach the situation. But it's not this sort yeah. of like high drama I don't know, Pretty Little Liars gossip girl, like there's a clear Mm -hmm. antagonist. There's a lot more nuance in young adult fiction these days. And I really, really appreciate that. Like, I I love it so much. I love reading these books that are just Mm -hmm. easy and comforting and like emotionally nourishing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and and like books that assume like the reader who is reading them will understand that there is nuance, right? And will kind of like pick up on that and like really appreciate, really appreciate that type of storytelling, right? Yeah. Um, I think like the, like authors are giving, (laughs) are kind of giving more benefit of the doubt for the reader and like letting them sit with like the, the conflicts, but like, not painting it as something that's um, really black and white. Yeah. I think the book that I'm thinking about might have been Happily Ever Afters by Elias Bryant, but I can't remember mm-hmm. for sure. But I know for sure, like... Yeah. Was it that one? Yeah, I think we definitely mentioned it with that book. Um, yeah. But I think we've been keep... We've, like, brought this up, like, like yeah. this kind of thematic thing, like, multiple times, I think, in yeah. the books that we've read. Yeah, because um, I, I think it came up in a faux love story as well. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, it's, and it is so nice. And I think it's so, like, I know we have these, we have these debates about, like, what, what does it mean to ethically write young adult fiction? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But <laughs> I think it's, it's really good to write young adult fiction that teaches young adults that, the tension and the work of being a teenager is in finding your own balance. Mm-hmm. That I, I just, I love seeing that. Yeah. Because that is really, I mean, it would have been very helpful if I had spent my teens working on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, like, we do, we think that, like, teens are really self-absorbed. Um, like, I think a lot, like, a lot of adults do. Um like that's how it's like portrayed um but a lot of the like books that we read I feel like were about like outside like things happening to the teen and like them like 
you know, having to do. And that's why it felt like pretty like, like self-absorbed in that way. But, but it is actually like self-absorbed in the way that like a lot of stuff is happening internally. Yeah. Um, that like the person has to deal with. Right. And is like grappling with and like, like needs like guidance in that, but it comes across as like, Oh, this person like does not care for other people does not like, you know, but that like, that's not actually what's actually going on, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, being a teenager is just like brain development level, a self-absorbed time. Like being a teenager, you have to be Mm -hmm. self-absorbed because you are figuring yourself out, Um, which is why we talk about it as Mm -hmm. coming of age. But I feel like the books 20 years ago, uh, 2015 years ago, 1520 is how you usually say that it was very concerned with like social status and like teenagers functioning Mm -hmm. as social beings and gaining status or like gaining a different kind of status because gaining manic pixie dream girl credits is also gaining status (laughs) it's just gaining status with different people and the stakes have shifted now so that it's not about I mean they always did end with a like but be true to yourself kind of twist right but like but you look at who's determining what that means and I know we've talked about it recently in books where we'll get really uncomfortable with like yeah we talked about this in Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants a lot where it's like Mm -hmm. oh this character like Tibby for example figured out that she was being mean to her mom and needs to be nicer to her mom and it's sort of like well where's that Mm -hmm. goalpost is this what's best for Tibby or is this what's best for her mom yeah and seeing these books I'm getting off track now but like seeing these books where the person who decides the worth is the protagonist you know Mm -hmm. Izumi knows her mom doesn't want her to go in the first place to Japan her Mm -hmm. mom is really scared about what this means but she also understands that that is her mom's burden to carry Mm -hmm. and her mom is giving her the freedom to do the choice that feels right for her her mom handles the initial shock of hey I found my dad extremely well and extremely compassionately Mm -hmm. and with a lot of understanding and seeing these, it's a, I mean, yeah, what it is, it's a book with parents actually parenting instead yeah. of just being incredibly self-absorbed. Seeing how good parenting equips teenagers to make good choices for themselves, mm-hmm. which yeah. Izumi does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, going back to that, I think, um, like, we touched upon this with the with her dad a little bit. And about how he deals with like finding out this, um, the secret, right? Mm-hmm. Um, after so long, and um, I kept when I was reading, I think I kept thinking like, oh my gosh, like it seems like her dad is just like ignoring her. Like it's gonna be just like that that like that storyline of like the dad just like like maybe doesn't like her and like is like is like oh my gosh this is so disruptive kind of thing yeah. but it turns out like that's not actually where the story is going yeah and when I found that out I like I think that that like frame of thinking where I was putting that on the book and then what was actually happening was like oh no like that makes a lot more sense and you kind of get the whole rationale and the um w- the reason why her dad's acting a certain way throughout the book um, even if a lot of it is actually happening like off the page, yeah. Um, but you like in the end, you un- you kind of get the full picture, which is like 
I think that really illustrates what you're kind of saying about um, the parents of this book. Yeah. So we we haven't talked at all yet about love. So there's Akio, who is her extremely hot security guard, (laughs) who is also very sweet. And I don't know, there's not that much to say, except that I love their storyline and I love the way it resolves. And I don't want to give too Mm -hmm. much away about it. Yeah. Except there's really cheesy poetry. Oh my God, there's so much cheesy poetry. I can say that, right? Yes, there's so much cheesy poetry. (laughs) I really, really, I mean, you know, my teenage heart melted. They give each other poetry back and forth. It's adorable. I think that was my favorite part. (laughs) And it's like, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. And like that's bold. <laughs> yeah, it's but that's it's so good. Like for some of the poems, I would be like, I'd be like, how did she get the point out of this? But like they're teenagers, and it's cute. It's very mm-hmm. cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot much we can say without like really giving away. Yeah, it's it's a special things. it's a special storyline, and I don't want to like steal anything yeah. from experiencing it. Um, but mm-hmm. it is something that I liked a lot in this. There's a yeah. lot of, so there's a lot of subtlety in this book. There's a lot of very, mm. it's still really gripping, but a lot of things that are very sort of quiet and simple, but just, but engaging and, and propel you forward through the narrative. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those books where the writing matches the aesthetic and they work together and you just sort of, smoothly seamlessly experience everything um Mm -hmm. and that's just that's just really special that like we get these books we get maybe I don't know three four of these books a year with like Mm -hmm. you know 50 books read a year (laughs) um (laughs) but every now and then you just hit a writer who's really special and and really is doing something special with not just the plot, but with the way they're writing the book. And this is definitely one of those. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. Like the, the the gardens and the trees and the buildings, the descriptions of Tokyo, the descriptions of the food with this. Mm-hmm. And like having read uh, um, the like, uh, oh, what is it called? The Maureen Goo, like uh, um, Roman holiday retelling. Mm-hmm. somewhere only we know somewhere only we know and i feel like there is one other there's like been a bunch of books this year that i'm like i need to go to asia <laughs> like i need to go experience these cities yeah and that also through the lens of somebody who like is coming in and like kind of has a knowledge of it but like is experiencing it for the first mm-hmm. time i think that's also what like makes it really magical as mm-hmm. well yeah again i think like the way that this way that the story was told like masterfully was because we were seeing it through Izumi's eyes Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I think like that was an intentional thing that um Umiko Jean did yeah um which I really appreciated yeah 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 last point let's talk about her grandparents and generationality and dynasty because that was fun like, this is another mm-hmm. one of those things where mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't think we should give away too much of the specific plot points. But yeah, 
it's not just her father that she's meeting. It's this whole family with cousins and grandparents. And like her dad is not the emperor. Her dad is the crown prince. She still has her grandparents mm-hmm. ruling. And just I loved I again, like I don't want to give this away. <laughs> There's a lot I don't want to give away. This is a new release. <laughs> And I want to avoid spoilers. And I really think this one like benefits from just going in with no prior knowledge Mm -hmm. and experiencing it from the beginning to the end. But every person, this I guess this is just the same point I already made. Every person has their whole story. You get the sense like even the most minor characters, you get little hints of their whole story and all their dimension and depth. And that is so incredibly special yeah um i think to add to that i think that there's another dimension of it where you also get the media as kind of a character as well um because the like the chapters are interspersed with um like articles from um it's called the tattler the tattler Tattler or something right which is like the the, yeah, the, yeah, the like, which is like Tatler. a gossip magazine, which I think also kind of gives like a perspective of like what it's what like the pressure that she's feeling and also like what she kind of like the expectations yeah. too of like being royal um in in this in this culture. Um so I think like that whole element with like how to look for the media and like how do you um like deal with this perception of like an outsider coming in um but it's also like your fam like your new family that you're trying to like also fit into actually like it's not just family it's like um like people who are looking up to you or like expecting you to behave a certain way right yeah um I think like that was an added element to it, which I think was done really well as um, like you really felt it. Yeah. um, Like what she was going through, through that lens as well. Yeah, absolutely. The stakes are well established, but it's never like scary, which I also like. Like a lot of the time, like media driven narratives in fiction get really scary and, Mm -hmm. and, I just like this book feels like safe in a way that's really nice. Mm -hmm. Like she's given the space for her conflict to be internal, even when there's external conflict, you know, there's a lot of choice Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, given, which Mm -hmm. is really, again, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm making the same point over and over because I just really, really like how much autonomy this protagonist has, even though she's in a situation that is, historically like the 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 like suddenly being thrust into a role of responsibility narrative is very 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 old in literature and so often the protagonists mm-hmm. are not given choice and are not given autonomy and i really 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 mm-hmm. appreciate the way she is given autonomy and and given self determination in a way that's believable it doesn't take, mm-hmm. it's not like, I don't know, the Camilla Cabello Cinderella where they just change the plot completely. Um, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, she, this is a royal family and there is media and there are rules and there are restrictions. Mm-hmm. But within all of those, you can find 
the way you want to be. That is refreshing. And yeah. believable. Yeah. I think it was also, it, for me, it felt really, like, inspirational as well. Like, mm-hmm. but not in, like, a way where, like, it feels fake or, like, it can't be achieved or, like, like trying too hard, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think like <laughs> I think we're both like thinking about like the way this story played out, and we're like talking around it, and like I just want like <laughs> everyone to like read the book and understand yeah. like why it is we're saying it like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I <laughs> I think that like it was it, it, yeah you could see that like just her like the way that she was given. Um, or the way that she was able to just be sure of like what she wanted to do. Yeah. I think that of its that in and of itself was really inspirational. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, this is Tokyo Ever After by Emiko Jean. I'm so glad that we got to read it. Uh, thank you so much to Flatiron Books for sending it to us. Please send us more if this is what you picked for us. <laughs> really, really highly recommend this one i actually feel like even though i think it takes place in the spring i feel like this is a very good fall read mm-hmm. there's something about the feeling yeah. of it that like mm-hmm. it was it was very nice to read as the weather got cooler so mm-hmm. don't wait <laughs> order it now so you can read it before winter it's a very transitional book right yeah so, exactly mm-hmm. like about change and growth and you know, it's good for change in the season. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And it's comforting. It's familiar and refreshing at the same time, I, I would say. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. And I might not have mentioned this, but it's extremely pretty. You know what? I feel like it's a good book to read in Libra season. I'm going to narrow that window even more from fall to Libra season. You have to read this in the next <laughs> three weeks. Go. Just do it. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at yapodcast and individually. I'm at tefferbear. And I'm at unicorn, the unicorn reads a book on Instagram. And that's unicorn with an E. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great books. Per, but you can you can read all kinds of great books. You can find out about great books. I'm, a, I'm having a meltdown. You can get all kinds of great perks. Tom's gonna leave all of that in, including early mm-hmm. access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, <laughs> and more. Head to Patreon.com/slash/YeahPodcast to donate. Shout out, as always, to our wonderful patrons, Catherine Rashi, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, and Emmett Cameron. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. You can also always support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe a friend um, who just found out that they're secretly royalty. Or another friend also would work. All the friends. Yeah. All your friends. Give it to all your friends. (laughs) Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. 
This episode was produced by Tefra Jemian, that's me, and edited by Tom Zalatni. Hi, Tom, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network, and there are more all the time at upfordnetwork.com. Bye! I'm October Jones, and Hi, this is... I'm Fish with Legs. I'm a fish hey, with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs, starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. (laughs) New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts and, of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it. Bye! If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast, helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else.